to see you here this evening. Welcome to you if you're watching online as well. As we come into God's house, it's a real pleasure, isn't it, to, uh, to meet again. I just want to read a few, uh, few words from uh, Psalm 146. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opened the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. What an amazing Lord we have to come and worship tonight. And my prayer is that we'll be in a right spirit as we, as we come together and that we'll be able to praise him for who he is and for what he's done. So with that in mind, let's, let's sing of the Lord's love for us as we sing our first song, which is love divine or love's excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us your humble dwelling. All your faithful mercies crown. Let's stand when the music starts.
what a day that will be when God has finished his new creation and pure and sinless will all be. What a great day that is to look forward to. Well, as we start our service, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the unchanging one, the ever faithful God, true to every promise that you have ever made. Lord, you are worthy of all the praise, the honour, the glory that we can bring. We know, Lord, that we are limited in the capacity that we find ourselves at the moment, but we thank you, Lord, that there is a great day coming when we will be able to praise you as you, have, as you deserve, that, Lord, we will be pure and sinless, all because of our, the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, you know how we feel the inadequacy while we're in, here below, and that, Lord, words can't um, help us describe the, the wonder and the love of the Lord. And, Lord, our sin gets in the way and the things that we try to do. And as we heard in the children's talk this morning, Lord, the best things that we do are still like filthy rags before you. Um, but we thank you, Lord, that we are not in, held in this, um, in this state, but that you are ready to save. Lord, that you are ready to bring lost souls into your family and call them your children. And, Lord, what a, what a contrast we are to you. Lord, you are so full of holiness and we are so full of sin. And yet, Lord, your love extends from heaven above all the way down to us here on the earth. And Lord, we pray that we will never tire of hearing the wonderful words, the wonderful uh, gospel that we have um, written in your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to have it open, to read it, and for it to be true for each one of us. Lord, we live in a time where uh, your word is marginalised, and um, Lord, we are told to seek after things that make us happy and the things that we uh, and the things that we that, that fulfil us. Oh, but Lord, that's not the teaching of your word, and we pray that we will um, seek you first and your righteousness. We pray, Lord, that uh, you will be the one high and lifted up in our lives, that, Lord, we will um, honour other people and esteem them more highly than ourselves. We pray, Lord, that we will have our life in a right perspective. You know how easily things can get out of balance, and, um, and before long, Lord, we have idols that, um, that come above you. And we pray, Lord, that if there are any idols in our hearts tonight, that, Lord, you will tear them down, that you will take them right away, and that you will make yourself the most precious thing of all in our life. And, Lord, as we go through uh, um, a busy week, we pray that um, you, will be, you will help us, and that, Lord, you will uh, keep our eyes firmly on you. And so, Lord, as we come to worship you tonight, we pray for a heart that will be put in a right, a right state, and that, Lord, that we will be ready to hear what you have to say to us. And uh, we pray, Lord, that through the, um, the reading and the preaching of your word, that it might touch our hearts and change us for the better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first reading this evening is in uh, the Paul's epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 3. Now, we're hoping to look at the letters to the seven churches in our evening, uh, in our evening services before Christmas. Um, and they are found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Uh, tonight we'll be looking at the first one, which is to the church at Ephesus, hence our first reading, and it makes challenging reading for all of us. So we're going to read um, the third chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, and we're going to start at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to stand and sing again now, and we are going to be uh, singing again of, of this theme of love, and we're going to be singing, Let love be found among us, a love from God alone, the hallmark of the children whom God delights to own. Let's stand and sing. bow our heads again and pray Father we thank you that we can come to you through Jesus Christ our Lord that Lord we can come with the big and the little things that concern us in life we thank you Lord that um, your love is so great um, and that it reaches out um, to those of us who are sinners Lord, which of course is all of us here tonight and everyone that's ever walked the earth apart from our saviour And Lord, we are so thankful that you are mindful of us. And that Lord, you know where we are, you know the things that concern us, you know um, the the, the burdens that we carry and the worries that we have. Lord, you know, as the the psalm says, our down-sitting and our uprising. And Lord, what what great comfort we can draw from that. 
And uh, Lord, nothing takes you by surprise. And you know, Lord, that we can be surprised by many things and the timing of certain happenings in our lives can often uh, knock us sideways. But Lord, we are comforted when we can see it, that you have a plan and that, Lord, you are working all things out for our good. And some of us, Lord, in Rooted this morning, we're looking at the trials that we face in our lives and to count it all joy. And Lord, you know the difficulty that can be, and it's an easy one to, um, to say, but how we, can, we should count all these difficulties that we face in life as joy, knowing that set aside for us in heaven above is a crown of life um, with our name on it. And Lord, you know that we are far from royalty. Uh, Lord, our sins drag us far away from you, but Lord, through the love, the obedience, and the grace of our Lord and, Je- our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, We are part of your family. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us here tonight as we go into a new week. Lord, you know what faces us, and maybe some of us are anxious about the things that are ahead. Lord, please go with us in everything that that, that we have to do. Equip us, give us faith, Lord, keep our eyes on Jesus. And, Lord, sometimes we can be very uh, quick to forget you, even after we've uh, maybe enjoyed sermons here on Sunday, Lord, because we can go into the week and we're very forgetful of who you are and, and what you've done and all the promises that you have made. We thank you, Lord, that you are true to your promises and that we can rely on them. And we pray that more and more, Lord, you will, um, that you will help us to truly trust you and to lean upon you in every situation. Lord, we thank you for today and for the services that we've had already. We thank you for the service this morning. We thank you for Rooted Sunday School and, um, Lord, for the truth that's been spoken then. And I pray, Lord, that seeds may have been sown and, um, and that we will, we will see growing up or maybe uh, seeds that are already there have been watered and will bring um, an increase. And we pray, Lord, that, that your word will go out and achieve all that you have planned for it to. And that, Lord, uh, here tonight there might be lives changed or reminders given um, to bring us closer to you. Lord, we thank you that you understand the situations that we find ourselves in, that the Lord Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We thank you, Lord, then, that you know the difficulties that we can face and the way that we feel. Um, We pray that you will make us more Christ-like, as you intended us to be, and that, Lord, through the refining process, we will come forth like gold. And as we venture into this week, Lord, um, we, we pray for um, a resilience against the, um, uh, against the, uh, uh, the temptations that we find in the world. And Lord, there's lots to pull us to one side to try and make us think that there's a better way. And um, I pray, Lord, that you will, you will protect us from those, from those temptations and that, Lord, don't leave us to give in to them. I pray, Lord, for... Um, for the young people who is, might feel especially vulnerable at, at school or college and um, when there are so many ideologies and arguments to try and lure them away and to um, cast you to one side, I pray, Lord, that you will root yourself so, so um, deeply and firmly in our hearts that we will not be able to waver from the truth. Lord, we won't be like a wave tossed around on the sea. So, Lord, you know the things that we need. You know the, the way that we need to be equipped and we fully depend on you to do just that. Lord, we can't do it on our own, but we thank you that you have promised um, to give us all the things that we need, that, Lord, you will equip us for the battle of life. And, uh, Lord, we, 
We commit all the activities of this church into your hand. We thank you for the various ministries and the, uh, that, that we have over the course of a week. And uh, we pray, Lord, that, um, that everything will go, all the things that are planned in the coming week will, will go to plan. And that, Lord, it might all be done for your honour and glory. And that, Lord, we might be a shining beacon in a, in a dark world, pointing people to Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us then as we turn to your word shortly. We, we thank you for it. We thank you for the open Bible. We thank you, Lord, for committed preachers. We thank you for John and for Mark who um, so diligently study your word, Lord, and want nothing more than to speak of Jesus and to speak the truth. We thank you for that, for their faithfulness to the truth, and um, we pray, Lord, that that will continue for many, many generations to come. And, uh, Lord, we pray that it won't just be... Um, there won't just be words spoken, but that, Lord, that they might be uh, life-giving words. And uh, we, we pray then that our ears will be opened, our hearts will be ready to receive what you've got to say to us. Lord, use them to speak to us. And uh, we pray that it will do all of our souls good and that through it all you might have the glory. We ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And Malcolm's got a, another reading for us. Well, let's um, hear from God's word again, shall we? It's in Revelation uh, chapter 2 and verses uh, 1 to 7. And if you're uh, following in the church Bible, that's page 1028. So God's word says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested these who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, John's going to explain that passage to us in just a moment, but before he does, we're going to sing our third song. And that is, I will glory in my Redeemer. I will glory in my Redeemer whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails and hung him on that judgment tree. Let's stand when the music starts.
three situations to lead us into our passage this evening. Duck Pond Evangelical Church. Not a real church. Duck Pond Evangelical Church has been going for years. They hold a strong allegiance to the Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, a good, reformed, Bible-based statement of faith. Their members are well-drilled in theology, even in their earlier years. The sermons uh, regularly expose the errors of wishy-washy Christians around. They can sniff a heresy a mile off. Its library is full of banner of truth titles. The church members aren't getting on well. There's a lot of gossip and ill feeling. People are quick to criticise behind people's backs and they're pretty frosty to their fronts as well. Relationships are not good. But it's a sound church, so that's okay, isn't it? Second situation, Jack and Jill. So Jack and Jill have been stalwarts of their Baptist church for years. Uh, they've been very busy with the youth work. Um, they, they, they were always supporting the outreach events. There are many of the rotors and life is church, church, church. They very rarely miss a Sunday meeting or a midweek meeting. But their quiet times are very occasional and very flat. They don't have much peace or joy or spiritual warmth. They rarely personally feel a love to the Lord. Service is out of a strong sense of duty. Most onlookers, though, would uh, see them as model church members, so that's okay, isn't it? The third situation. Family values preserved. FVP. Family values preserved contends for God-given biblical principles. It has a a clear view on uh, some of the sad trends of the day which undermine marriage, uh, confuse gender and which advance some unhelpful aspects of LGBT issues. Uh, They get stick for it. There's a fair bit of hate mail coming in to their administrator's mailbox. They draw on good research to back up their points. But their literature, their demonstrations, their interviews portray a judgmental spirit. They seem to despise people with gender issues and same-sex challenges. And their conversations seem particularly dismissive. 
They don't seem to want such people to hear the gospel of grace and be influenced by it. But never mind, they're doing a good work, aren't they? Well, as Luke said, we're embarking on an evening series on the seven letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. We might look at them a bit more generally next week when we've got a a shorter letter in hand. Uh, Tonight we're especially going into the first one, which is the one to the church at Ephesus. Jesus, in a vision, spells out to John what he wants written to these different churches across Turkey at the time. And the first is to Ephesus. So I imagine it was close to the heart of John because it seems as though he'd spent some of his final years of ministry in that city. Of course, Ephesus has a lot of Bible background to it. But this ancient letter, it speaks into actually just the sort of situations which I went through earlier. Sort of case studies to set us off. And I think anyone who has any concern about their relationship with God will find that it actually speaks into their hearts and that we're in for quite a challenging evening this evening. There's a a general pattern that's consistent (coughs) to most of these letters. Uh, That will come out a bit this evening, but I, I might be able to major on it a little bit more next week. But for this evening, in following through what Christ says to this church at Ephesus here in Revelation, we're going to spot four things. And we're going to think first of Christ and the churches. (coughs) So the letters, in the way in which they're put together, are addressed to churches through what is described as an angel or a messenger of the church, possibly a church leader. And each time, Jesus introduces himself with a description. They usually link into the the book as a whole. Uh, But it's best not to pass them by too quickly. And this is what we read in the first verse. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. Well, there are two descriptions here, and you might be a bit flummoxed as to what they mean. Jesus describes himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks amongst the golden lampstands. Well, what does that mean? Well, we don't have to go far to find out what it means. In fact, we only have to step back a verse into the end of the previous chapter because there, in the vision seen here in Revelation, we find out what this is talking about. Verse 20 of chapter 1. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. What both aspects show is that 
Christ is involved with and concerned for the churches. Here there are these seven churches across Turkey and they're going through their different situations, they're in their different conditions but what is clear is that Christ is involved and he is interested in how things are going. Is he a distant, uncaring, remote, not bothered? No, he holds the churches or their angels in his right hand. He owns them, he possesses them. He walks among them, he walks amongst the lampstands or the churches. Christ is interested and involved with his churches. And this is both heartwarming and thought-provoking. It's heartwarming because we are not alone. Whatever we face as a church, and other churches are represented here, we have the attention of Christ. He is concerned for us, and that's a great relief. And for those who feel the burden of the concern for the church and its life, for those who perhaps have a leadership role in the life of the church, it is a tremendous thing to know that Christ is with us and interested in us in our ups and downs. So it is heartwarming. But it is also thought-provoking to have Christ amongst the churches. Because he, he notices, he observes... He assesses. He knows what's going on at Forest Fold. And he knows what's going on in other churches that we might be interested in or who are looking in on our service. He's aware of the positive and he's aware of the negative. And that leads us on to our second point this evening, which is Christ's compliment. Christ's compliment. <clears throat> Jesus starts the second verse with this, I know your works. Interested, involved, aware. And in these verses that we have here, 2, 3 and 6, he he commends, he he praises, he compliments. Uh, There are some, some positives and there's significant positives going on in the church at Ephesus. Let me read them, verses 2 and 3 and 6. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Verse 6, yet... This you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. <clears throat> Alistair Begg helpfully puts them as uh, three T's, actually, in this compliment. And uh, they're very helpful, I've just tinkered with them a little bit. They were task-orientated. <clears throat> they did things. They weren't uh, armchair Christians, they weren't just spectators. They had toiled. We had that word this morning. It's a good thing, isn't it? The Apostle Paul was toiling and the, the Christians in Ephesus were toilers. They worked hard. This was a busy church. There was some strain. 
The church at Ephesus many years ago had been urged to follow God's path and walk in good works, and they did good works. Maybe it was evangelistic events that were held and run well. Perhaps there were rotors for helping uh, those who were elderly. Maybe the church premises were kept very nice and well in order. Perhaps there were Bible studies going on. They were task-orientated. They were doing things. They were active. They were tough. They were tough. They had, verse 2, patiently endured. And that hadn't been easy. Perhaps they were, there was opposition. But they weren't wimps at Ephesus. They didn't just drop out for nothing. They kept going. There was a determination about them. There was a, a stickability about them. They were tough. Again, you have it in verse 3. I, I, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Many would have worn out under the situation. But it carries on, and you have not grown weary. They kept going. They endured. They were hard stuff. They were persevering. They were tough, as well as task-orientated. And they were also truth-defending. They were truth defending. They didn't just sort of roll over and give in to the latest fads and fashions. They stood for God's truth. Up today, intolerance seems to be the sort of cardinal sin, the, the, the thing that must never be intolerance. Well, there is indeed an intolerance that stinks, isn't there? But it's not right to tolerate some things. Some things we should be rightly intolerant of. And they didn't tolerate error. It says in verse 2, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. They were discerning. They were like the Bereans. They went back to sort of biblical principles to work out what was good and what wasn't. They didn't just swallow lock, stock and barrel everything that was coming out from the media and that certain teachers were saying. And Jesus comes back to this, doesn't he, in verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Well, one of the groups that were a menace were the Nicolaitans. And we don't know an awful lot about them. We find out a little bit more later in the chapter, in one of the other letters. But it, what it seems is that they sort of advanced things, were, were sexually loose and idolatrous. And, the, uh, and Christ didn't like what they were teaching. And neither did the people at Ephesus. They disliked what was being taught and they wouldn't have anything to do with it. They were truth defenders. So, you know, this is Christ's compliment and, and these are good things, aren't they? 
They're good things, aren't they? It's right to serve hard. Be zealous for good works. To the extent that God gives us ability and energy and resources, it's good to commit our lives to him as individuals, as churches, that there should be some toil, there should be a task orientation, we have a, a mission, uh, to a gospel mission, a commission to follow. Jack and Jill were partly onto a good thing, weren't they? Maybe there's no toil, maybe there's no hard work in your life. Well, perhaps you need to have a rethink if you're a Christian. Especially if God has given you health and energy. And it's right that we should be tough, that we should endure knocks and bumps, that we should stand for Christ and serve Christ and keep going. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Do keep going, do be tough as a Christian, that was good. And it's right that we stand for truth, isn't it? God has given his word, we're to work out what it says, we're to stick by it, we're to be concerned for it because it it glorifies him and it's for the good of others. We might not go quite to the extent of duck pond evangelical church in our enthusiasm, but it's right to be concerned for truth and stick by it. To get clear on what the Bible teaches and what it doesn't teach and to hold fast to it. To not keel over with the the different philosophies and teachings of the age. It's right to be, seek to be clear on issues of gender, on multi-faith and where we've come from. It's good to be concerned for truth. So there's Christ's compliment and there's some teaching in it. Good things to notice. But we come to a but. We come to a big but. Jesus comes to a but. <clears throat> and we move on to Christ's correction. Verse 4. And it, it's, I think it comes with a thud. I think it's a very powerful verse. It's brief, but it's just so clearly to the point. Verse 4, but, the onlooking Jesus says this, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've left your first love. Jesus had noticed something. I don't think they'd noticed it. And they'd overlooked something massive. In their, in their busyness, in their orthodoxy, in their denouncements of others, they disregarded something of huge importance. Their love had gone. They had loved before, but now it was missing. 
a big change had happened. It says they've abandoned. That feels quite a strong word, doesn't it? They'd left, they'd forsaken, they'd let go of, they'd lost. Maybe they did realise a little bit. But they just didn't think it was important in the scale of things. Other things were okay, well, okay, the, the love seems to... But uh, let's concentrate on the big things. Was it love for the Lord? Was it love for each other? Was it love for the lost? Well, it doesn't say. Couldn't it be all three? Aren't they very often interconnected? The language makes us think of a couple. They're looking in each other, other's eyes with tremendous fondness. They delight to be with gather, together and spend lots of time together. They give each other nice presents. And there's gooey words in the cards. They exchange wonderful vows on their wedding day of commitment. And the groom's speech is full of heartfelt devotion to his bride. But that couple, ten years on, 25 years on, and they're like single people living in the same house. And there's no concern, and there's no care, and there's no affection, and there's no sparkle, and there's no joy in being together. They've lost their first love. Have we lost our, our first love to the Lord? Uh, the wonder of forgiveness, of hope, of joy, of peace is gone. There's no delight in worship. His word means very little to us. We don't want to speak with him. Our Christian activity is mere duty. It's a sort of begrudging task orientation. And that attitude to the Lord shown to others. We're becoming the, the grumpy old man, if you like, or the grumpy old lady. We criticise uh, everything. We look down on the youth. We're harsh and sweeping uh, of others. We have uh, no compassion for those who are not believers. We lost our first love. This morning I came across the two great commandments that were just in my readings. Well, what are the two great commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love your neighbours, yourself, the two great commandments. Is the love gone? We might be as discerning as Duck Pond Evangelical Church, but is there no love? We might be slogging away like Jack and Jill, but is there no love? We might be standing against the trends like uh, family values preserved, but is there any compassion and concern? 
we lost our first love. It's a short verse, but it's weighty, isn't it? But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And we see the seriousness of it as we go on. As we look under the the different things which are in our last heading, which is Christ's call. Christ's call. Let's read the rest of this letter. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Remember, he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Look back. See how far down you've come. See how hard your heart has got. Look at what's happened to you. Haven't you noticed? Remember. See what I see. Remember. Repent. Repent. We sometimes think of this as a word for for non-Christians. Well, it is a word for non-Christians. But it's also an ongoing word for Christians. Uh, Life is a life of repentance. And sometimes that's needed in a big way and you sense that that is what the Lord is saying here. Repent, remember and repent. Repent and do the works you did at first. Unless you repent, end of verse 5. Turn round. Confess. Put into words before the Lord what has happened. Head back to him. Still love truth. Still serve. Still discern. But do it with a loving heart. Get close to the Lord. Feel his love. Love your brothers and sisters. Love the lost. Let the tap which seems to have been turned off of love flow through you in your attitudes to the Lord, to to others and to those who need Christ. Repent. Turn back. Change. Notice. And we see how serious this is by how Jesus continues. What will happen if they don't turn back, if they don't repent? Well, he says this. If not, verse 5, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I will remove your lampstand. 
They will stop existing as a local church. They would disappear as a local church. A loveless church is not a God-honouring church. A loveless church doesn't represent the God who is love, whose commandments are about love. A loveless church doesn't reflect the love that has been shown to them in a saviour who loved them and gave himself for them. A loveless church is, is a misnomer, really. It's a dishonour to the Lord. Well, local churches come to an end for a variety of reasons. The Lord is sovereign, situations vary, some are faithful and serving and prayerful. But this can be one reason that a church comes to its end. Because it became a church where there was no love. It's a serious problem, isn't it? They might have thought, oh well, yeah, the love is going, but never mind. Task, truth, toiling, endurance. A loveless church is off beam. A loveless church is so out of sync with God's purposes. And he calls for them and to other and for other churches to hear what is being said. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We should hear what the Spirit was saying to the church at Ephesus. Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? The importance of love to be very much combined with the toughness, the toil and the truth. In each case we see that the Lord graciously gives an encouragement for them in going forward despite the seriousness of the warning. And he carries on in verse 7, to the one who conquers I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. One of the symbols of Ephesus and its temple was the date palm tree. And Jesus is saying that there's a a better tree and better fruit ahead for God's people. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, that tree which had been out of bounds since Genesis 3, left in the Garden of Eden, but which would be available for his people and is part of their future. The tree of life is ahead of you. Which is in the paradise of God. Paradise is park language, garden language. Beautiful scene, lovely place to go, very appealing, tranquil, nice to be in. That is the future for God's people. Come on, repent, get up, get going, head to this. Maybe he's showing, maybe he's showing to them the, the generosity and the grace of God to melt their hearts. This is what God is doing for you. Don't be so loveless and rigid and hard as a group of people. 
This is your future because you have a God who loves you so much. Act like it now. And so Christ calls them to remember, to repent, and the Spirit repeats the message to the churches. Return to your first love who is leading you to paradise. Well, one final thought, um, just to leave this. I think it's a sobering thought. It's quite a sobering topic, isn't it, this evening, really? And that is to think of um, Ephesians through Ephesus through the decades. It just gives a little bit of perspective. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked at the, what the Bible says about Ephesians and Ephesus. Be worth doing. We can't do it now, but, we, but but just pick up this: the reading we had earlier um, in Ephesians three was written to this church. That prayer for them to be rooted and grounded in love, for them to understand the love of Christ, which is beyond full understanding. Thirty or forty years ago, one assumes it had been answered in the early years. They did have a period of love, but now thirty odd years on, and the situation is different. Well, what was our situation as a church thirty years ago? And how do we compare to that now? Some things have definitely changed. Has this changed? What about 30 years' time? A good few of us won't be here, or a good few of us won't be in positions of responsibility. But what will the life of the church be like? Will there still be love? That great hallmark, that great uniform, that great sort of projection and example of Christ who gave his life for his people. <clears throat> So I'm sorry the light's gone out. But maybe in a different way the light's gone on in your mind. Something has switched on which you've been oblivious to up until now. Be encouraged by the compliment but uh, be thoughtful and challenged by the correction. The key verse, verse 4, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Let's have a time of prayer on our own, personally responding, before we sing our last hymn, which will encourage that thoughtfulness too.
Right, shall we sing our last song? <clears throat> our last song really expresses a concern and a, a, a grief of not walking with the Lord as we used to. Um, I expect in, to different degrees it will be something that we feel and can echo and pray along with seeking God's help as we go forward. Oh, for a closer walk with God, a constant heavenly calm, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. That same hymn writer also wrote this, which I shall read as our closing prayer. Maybe how we feel. Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint, yet I love thee and adore. Oh, for grace to love thee more. Amen.